Hood by J.M. Bullpit Read by Jack Collard Chapter 8. An Unequal Duel The near-invisible man on the stairs snarled something at Robbie in a gruff language that felt like being savaged with words. A muscular frame about six and a half feet tall shimmered into view, the material creasing and folding over the man's immense arms and torso suggested hefty brutality straining to be unleashed. Even without the gun pointing at his head, Robbie would have found himself intimidated by this powerful specimen. Crouching down on the stairs, the huge man allowed the muzzle of his gun to nuzzle beneath Robbie's chin. After a moment's thought, the man tapped Robbie's jawbone with the pistol as if in gentle rebuke, then bellowed in his face in the language that seemed to be mostly consonants and few vowels. Please, Robbie said in hushed tones as he tried to catch his breath. I, I, I don't understand. English, said the man, half a question, half a declaration. Robbie nodded. There was a great commotion in the hallway beneath, followed by people firing questions upstairs in the tongue Robbie had no hope of understanding. The barking, toing and froing of the inquiries and the answers the huge man provided sounded like rifle reports in the house. After a moment's dialogue with the unseen people below, Robbie's captor hauled him up off the stairs with one arm and thudded downstairs two steps for each stride. Nothing could have prepared Robbie for the reception that greeted him in the hallway. Close to a dozen men and women of various extractions were crowded at the foot of the staircase, with another handful scattered at different heights upon the stairs. Every one of them had guns trained upon him. Vasily, we know him. Robbie knew the voice that came from deep within the crowd of sinew and firearms, and all hope within him latched onto it. 
He's the fortune teller's grandchild. He was staring at a throng of people in his grandmother's hallway. The people parted without taking their aim from Robbie, allowing Ivan Noon to coast forward, bringing his wheelchair to a halt at the foot of the staircase. Evening, Robbie, Ivor smiled grimly. As you might have guessed by now, we weren't really expecting you. You okay, Ivor? asked a broad, stubbly-faced man some years older than his surrounding colleagues. The precise and complex way the R trilled off his tongue marked him down as someone who came from Eastern Europe or beyond. He's okay, Vasily. It's Robert, replied Ivor. You have my word. He's enough of Vasily. You okay with me? Big apologies, Robert. Would not have recognized you. The older man uttered a sharp sound, and all the guns in the room drooped downwards. In his state of heightened awareness, Robbie noticed within less than a second that the older man, Vasily, not only possessed a bushy moustache that draped over his top lip, therefore hiding his mouth, but had also had his nose broken in several places at some point in the past. Robbie felt he vaguely recognised the man, Sergei, called out Vasily to the colossus on the stairs holding Robbie. Vasily jerked his head to one side as a signal to put the boy down, but the giant, Sergei, did not obey. A brief and heated dialogue ensued between Vasily and Sergei, which needed no translation. At the end of it, Robbie was still dangling from an immense arm. Moronic, mutinous, Mongolian shepherd, Ivor, complained Vasily. Mongolians crazy people. They can be cruel like devils. They always bloody-minded like Mongol horse, and they always bloody stupid like the sheep. Sorry, Ivor. You are sure of this boy, crippled man? asked Sergei, ignoring Vasily's remarks and holding up Robbie with as much effort as if he was showing them a kitten he had found. In some countries I have operated in, children, young children, are used as assassins. You may be sure of him, yes, but we have the scientists to protect. You are sure for all of us. Vasily unleashed a torrent of abuse at the Mongolian for the insult towards Ivor. But the man in the wheelchair reacted hardly at all. I have given my word, Ivor replied. I vouch for him. Sergei considered this response for a moment, and then, as if bored, he tossed his hostage down at the crowd in the hallway. Vasily caught Robbie and placed him on his feet. The strapping Mongolian and his Russian boss instantly began to squabble, mauling each other with syllables so vicious they had to be spat out like phlegm. Robbie edged his way to the side of the wheelchair and to the sanctuary offered by the only person in the room he knew. A reassuring hand was placed on Robbie's shoulders. I'm sure you have many questions, Robbie, and you'll be one in answers, whispered Ivor. Can I ask you to wait until I inform your grandmother of your arrival? I can wait, Ivor, Robbie replied. Just don't leave me alone with these... Who are these people? Are they people? Patience, Robbie. Besides, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Robbie did as he was told. If he were honest with himself, Robbie would have to admit that his brain was overwhelmed by the whole experience, and he was not at all sure it could cope with any explanation, however reasonable.
For the moment, he contented himself with being free of the huge Mongolian's grip and out of the gun sights of that fierce body of people. As he followed Ivor down the hallway, through a living room towards the kitchen, Robbie kept a firm grip on his friend's wheelchair and occasionally sneaked a glance backwards to check that Sergei was not about to change his mind. Gwen Carroll had every detail of her house finished to an ultimate standard of excellence, although the building wore it well and did not draw too much attention to the riches it contained. It was a unique house that seemed to have borrowed its varied style by pilfering items and fixtures from all over the world, and yet, it still possessed a panache that was rare anywhere. The owners of the heavy boots clomping along the hallway had no inkling that they were treading upon reclaimed oak floorboards that used to grace a ballroom upon which the last Tsar of Russia and his daughters had danced. They simply had no idea they were opening the same heavy rivet-studded door behind which Cardinal Richelieu had plotted and commanded the deaths of dozens of men, or that the worn fireplace they passed in the living room, which had been dismantled in Venice and reassembled here, had once thrown out firelight by which Lord Byron had written his poetry. I am a magpie, Robbie. Theft is my trade, Grandma Gwen had once told her grandson. He did not understand it then, and he did not understand it now. The only compromise Gwen Carroll had made to the look of her house was in the discreet ramps and hidden lifts, allowing Ivor easy access to the entire building. More sinister-looking people awaited them in the large kitchen, standing stiffly around the place in little huddles. All of them showed mild surprise at Robbie's entrance. Some raised an eyebrow. Others allowed their hands to stray from one side of their jackets as if to check their wallets. A few Mediterranean men peered over the top of their sunglasses at the newcomer. Somehow, these people had made the cosiest room in the house with its argus stove beneath the large brick archway, its exposed timber-beamed roof and vast wooden table fashioned from an old barn door, somehow they had made it feel menacing and out of place. Robbie heard the group from the hallway pile into the room, still bickering, as Ivor glided towards a slender West Indian woman leaning on the Arga cooker. Cleo, would you do me the favour of informing Mrs. Carroll that her grandson has joined us here tonight? asked Ivor. The woman called Cleo paused in mid-chew of her gum. Be the devil's own ransom to pay if anyone boarded them. I know we were forbidden from going in, but it would be best if she knew about his presence here. And why don't you do this thing? You want to see Cleo get her boot chewed by the ladies, good sport, huh? Ivor smiled indulgently. The scientist's muscle gave the boy a fright. He only really knows me. He doesn't want to be left alone, please. Cleo's eyes lazily drifted up and down Robbie. Sure, she replied. But Ivor... You make sure they cremate me, don't want no burial. The West Indian woman disappeared through a door at the back of the kitchen, heading down the corridor to a room Robbie knew as his grandma's study. Sergei, the giant on the stairs, swaggered past. Sorry if Sergei scared you, little man. I thought you might be his backup bodyguard, laughed Sergei as he pointed at Ivor. 
no one else in the room even smiled. Is that what you are, all of you? Bodyguards? Da, him too, they say, replied Sergei, still pointing at Ivor. This lone cripple guards the fortune teller. It is madness, no? Ivor grimaced as if Robbie had just found out that he had broken a promise. Tell me, continued Sergei, how can that guard anything? Robbie stared at his friend, a frown and a slight squinting of the eyes being the only indication of the turmoil in his mind. Ivor returned the stare, his head slightly bowed, a guilty grimace unable to distract the search in his eyes that hoped their friendship had not founded on this new revelation. Up until ten minutes ago, Robbie had always said that Ivor was the first and only adult who always treated him as an equal. Robbie was always grateful to Ivor for that small courtesy. But now, ferocious invaders had swamped his grandma's house, the place in which Robbie felt most at home, and bizarre allegations had been made against his oldest friend that shook the foundations of the mutual trust they shared. How could Ivor be anyone's bodyguard? Robbie would surely have known. Anyway, Ivor was wheelchair-bound. Although he had forced the Cairns Nash clan to back down in the hospital, Ivor was a bodyguard. It was the only explanation that strayed anywhere near making sense. Robbie suddenly became aware that all the other people in the room were backing up against the walls, away from the group containing Ivor, Sergei, Vasily and himself. The hushed tension in the kitchen foretold that something was about to erupt. Vasily sensed this too and tried to defuse the situation. Forgive the Mongolian's sheep brains, Ivor. He foolish, he knew, he, he know nothing. Why do you scare these people so, crippled man? said Sergei glancing at his colleagues who had shifted as far away from him as possible without actually leaving the room. Must be my physical stature, Ivor replied, beaming back at the Mongolian. Ivor and the fortune teller command big respect both, Vasily growled at Sergei, but even he was now backing away from the two men. I could demonstrate some of my credentials to be a bodyguard if you wish, said Ivor. Not necessity, Ivor, pleaded Vasily, holding up a pacifying hand. What, on the boy? asked Sergei, ignoring his boss. No, you. Sergei roared with laughter. It rang out strange and ominous in a room full of silent people. You, you challenge me? You're a new recruit, aren't you? asked Ivor. The huge Mongolian stopped laughing in an instant. He slipped off his coat to reveal a body so swollen with muscle that it looked as if it had been sculpted from granite. The white t-shirt seemed a second skin moulded to the contours of the bulk it had contained. Robbie noticed that Ivor did not allow his attention to be drawn from Sergei's face for one moment. You have gun in chair? said the Mongolian suspiciously. I have heard it is, as British say, tooled up. Perhaps this is source of your influence with these people. 
no gun, no chair, Ivor replied, hopping out of his wheelchair and heaving himself adeptly onto the kitchen table by the use of his hands. Step back, Robbie. Slowly, with incomprehension dulling his response, Robbie did as he was told. To Robbie's eyes, Ivor's movements were so swift, fluid and nimble, they seemed unnerving, as if he represented a different species of man born to move propelled by his arms alone. Ivor perched on his hands at the edge of the table, the tiny stumps of his legs drawn back and out of the way, as he waited for the Mongolian's onslaught. You should know, cripple man, that this is not personal, explained Sergei. I will not damage you badly. That is kind of you, replied Ivor. The Mongolian snorted at the bodyguards around him and moved towards his opponent slowly. There had to be some reason why all his contemporaries held this Englishman in such high esteem. At about four feet from Ivor, Sergei stopped, then slowly extended his right hand towards his opponent's head. Ivor made a slight sideways shuffling movement, allowing a single arm to take the entire weight and balance of his form. Then his other arm shot out to swipe at the Mongolian's hand. But Sergei had pulled back, smiling. He was merely testing Ivor. In the next instant, the contest escalated at a rapid and ferocious rate. The Mongolian made a lunging grasp at Ivor, but the Englishman shifted his weight to swivel out of his way. Swapping hands at an astonishing speed, Ivor used his left hand as a pivot, freeing the fingers on his right, two of which darted into specific points at the back of Sergei's trunk of a neck. The Mongolian let out a howl of pain and anger as he sprawled across the kitchen table. Then he made a blind swipe behind him but Ivor had swung his torso up out of the way like a gymnast on a pummel horse. First his left, then his right arm were raised clear of the fist. Before his right hand had even landed, Ivor had bent his left arm so his body fell forward in the same posture as the Mongolian. For a nanosecond, both men regarded each other in a press-up position, then Ivor's right hand landed on the back of Sergei's t-shirt and heaved him back onto his feet but the Mongolian's blind backward swing now came forward in a direct punch. It made no difference. The disabled Englishman was already rotating himself forward within the arc of his adversary's blow. A muscular arm of frightening proportions brushed Ivor's back, but the actual force of the Mongolian's blow meant nothing but air. Ivor marshalled the momentum of his own spin to land an open-handed strike on Sergei's forehead. The shove sent the Mongolian reeling back across the room, slamming him into his colleagues. Once again, Robbie was absolutely astonished at the actions of his friend. Even he could see that the Mongolian was relying on primitive power, which was clearly no match for Ivor's unique fashion of anticipation, balance, agility and strength. There was no superior look of triumph on Ivor's face, however, just a blank expression of calm focus. Calm focus was far from Sergei's state of mind. Humiliation and rage drove him forward. Planting a hefty boot on the kitchen tiles, he aimed a kick at his tormentor's head. Ivor swayed his shoulder and head 
out of the line of the kick, seemingly to casually regard the state of the size 15 boot as it was thrust past his eyesight. A punch came in swiftly. Ivor dodged it. The fist transformed into a flat-handed martial arts swipe. Ivor parried it with his left hand, then guided the following strike away from his body. Sergei's blows began raining in on Ivor at a frightening rate. The Mongolian was clearly skilled in close combat, yet, through a combination of body movement and use of a single defensive hand, not one of the attacks made contact with Ivor. The two men were mere inches from each other's faces now. Sergei brought back his head to land a headbutt. Ivor immediately rammed his own skull forward under his opponent's chin. For a moment, the Mongolian was helpless, with his head tilted back at an extreme angle. Before Sergei had a chance to grab his adversary in a bear hug, Ivor employed a gentle rocking motion to transfer his weight from one hand to another. Then, a fist shot forward into the middle of the Mongolian's chest, snapping back almost as soon as it had connected. Sergei stumbled backwards, a look of bewilderment set upon his face. He brought his hands towards his chest as if in prayer, then his knees buckled and he collapsed upon the floor tiles in the kitchen. Robbie had watched the fight with slack-jawed amazement and, as if to confirm what he was witnessing, he cast his gaze over the others around him. Most of them were watching the contest with professional interest. Although Vasily was shaking his head ruefully and over in the corner, a smartly dressed Asian bodyguard was trying to rustle up some interests in bets on the fight. His fingers flashed up and down. He was offering huge odds on the Mongolian to win, but no one was interested. In the middle of the kitchen floor, clutching his solar plexus, Sergei took shallow, painful gasps of breath. He glared at Ivor warily, not daring to glance at his colleagues. Stay down, Sergei, please, implored Ivor. There was no venom or pleading in his voice, only the gentle reproach similar to that of a disappointed friend. Anything you attempt now will be because of resentment towards me. It is a motive that will hamper your skill. You are good at what you do, I can see that. Vasily does not employ imbeciles. Stay down, please. Sergei held up a hand as if in submission, then rushed headlong at Ivor. The Englishman had been inspecting it and launched himself off the table. An arm cupped around the rear of Sergei's neck and swung the rest of Ivor's body onto the Mongolian's back. Before Sergei had the chance to shake off his tormentor, Ivor carefully placed three fingers at different positions upon the muscular neck, with one a little behind an ear. Instantly, Sergei froze. From this position, you could be killed, paralysed, receive pain like you've never believed, or be given one grim headache, Ivor whispered into his ear. I choose to do the last, for your own sense of pride. Call it a scar. You have lost by underestimating your opponent. Say it. The Mongolian's mouth worked up and down silently for a few seconds before a childlike voice not even Sergei knew he possessed uttered, I have lost. Ivor appeared content with the statement 
and swung himself around Sergei's body to land with incredible dexterity back upon the table. The strapping Mongolian stood stock still in front of his adversary for a second or two and then slowly felt the sensation return to his fingers. He clenched his fists and then relaxed the fingers on his hand in a slow, beating rhythm for a few moments before rubbing the back of his neck. Sergei peered up at Ivor in confused awe as he cautiously stepped backwards and in amongst the line of his fellow bodyguards, his head bowed. Hello, Robert. You've grown several inches taller since last we met, said an elegant elderly Chinese lady in perfect English as she slipped into the kitchen from the study with the neat figure of Gwen Carroll following her. I hope the Mongolian has not been bothering you, Ivor. I hope he has not forced me to make an apology to you, or it will go badly for him. Sergei hung his head even lower. No apologies necessary, Madame Sun, replied Ivor. We were just establishing seniority. Such things keep me sharp. Gwen Carroll hurried over to her grandson and embraced him. Robbie hardly returned it. He was still in shock from what he'd just witnessed. Why are you here, sweetie? Ivor, how? replied Robbie incoherently. Yes, Ivor is impressive, is he not? Grandma said with pride. Your father was too. Dad was a bodyguard? She paused. He was one of the best at what he did. We'll speak more of it another time, sweetie. Grandma, who are they guarding? What is happening? asked Robbie. Yes, replied Grandma, leading Robbie through the kitchen to the study room at the back of the house. There are one or two things about me you ought to know. <laughs>